Welcome to this reading of the Business Record, Central Iowa's Business Weekly. This is the November 2nd, 2023 edition. I'm Pat Steele. All material heard on IRIS is intended for the use of listeners with print disabilities. Now here's our first story. We'll start off with the uh, real estate recordings for this week. First uh, story is Mid-American Energy plans to build an electrical substation on land previously owned by Bridgestone, the company records show. Des Moines-based Mid-American Energy paid Bridgestone America's tire operations just over $1 million for property in the vicinity of 4600 Northwest 2nd Street in unincorporated Polk County. The Des Moines City Council and Plan and Zoning Commission April approved the preliminary plot. Um, Mid-American Energy plans on developing a substation on 3.2 acres of the nearly 80 acres occupied at Bridgestone Agricultural um, tire plant. That transaction was recorded on October 23rd. In other transactions, Brio of Johnston, located in Johnston, paid Wesley Development Services $1.116 million for property in Brio of Johnston Platts 2 and 3. The purchase includes nearly four acres of undeveloped land at uh, 6985 Peckham Street. The purchase also includes a dozen properties on 6800 and 6900 blocks of Peckham Street and the 9200 block of Briel Circle. The lots are in a medium-density family residential district, and that transaction was recorded on October 23rd. Royal Brew Group LLC, which is located in Storm Lake, paid Supermart, incorporated $1.55 million dollars. For property at 136 First Street in West Des Moines, the half-acre property includes a convenience store and gas pumps. The property is valued at $533,000. Streamline Self-Storage, located in Ankeny, paid Ankeny Self-Storage $962,500 for property at 1519 South Ankeny Boulevard. The two-acre parcel includes 28,950 square feet of miniature warehouse space that was built in 1983. That property is valued at $1.54 million. R.H. Urbandale, located in Urbandale, paid Urbandale investors $8.25 million for property at 8800 North Park Drive in Urbandale. The property includes a four-story, 116-unit hotel that was built in 2007, that property is valued at $7.8 million. Gregory and Courtney Ladovich paid the Delin Revocable Trust $1.1 million for property at 1686 South 49th Street in West Des Moines. The property includes a 2,438 square foot house built in 2000 and remodeled in 2022. Douglas Lodick and Gina Flowers paid Lori Baldwin Berkeley $1.2 million for property at 8538 Northeast 54th Avenue in Altoona. The 10 acre parcel includes a two story, 6,000 square foot house that was built in 2005. The property also includes a metal utility building and 1,600 square foot garage. James and Pamela Slepper paid Embark Signature Homes $1.1 million for property located on Sherman Court in Ankeny. The property includes a 2,500-square-foot house whose construction was recently completed. Provisions Property, LLC, located in Clive, 
paid Colonial developers over $1 million for property at 1925 and 1937 West 1st Street in Ankeny. The properties each include two-story, eight-unit apartment buildings built in 1965. The property at 1925 West 1st Street is valued at $466,000. And uh, the property at 1937 West 1st Street is valued at 451000 In Dallas County, Teamwork Ranch, located in Des Moines, paid the estate of Ima Jean Wasson just over $1 million for property in Redfield. The property includes 75 acres in rural Dallas County. The farmland is just south of 255th Street and west of El Paso Avenue. And finally, in real estate news, Aaron and Lindsay Morris paid Eric and Lindsay Temple $1.25 million for property at 755 Southeast South Fork Drive in Waukee. The 3,400-square-foot house was built in 1989. Joshua Larberry has been named the new Economic Development Director for the City of Johnston. He replaces Adam Plague, who in June was named City Administrator for the City of Windsor Heights. Larbury most recently served as the executive director of Grove Fairfield Economic Development Association, a position he held for more than seven years. During his time in Fairfield, Larbury helped lead a comprehensive strategy for economic development. His achievements included the orchestration of nationally recognized economic development initiatives and securing over $15 million in development incentives. His efforts led to the cultivation of more than $52 million in new business investments, according to a news release. Joshua's experience will be crucial in fostering partnerships and securing investments for our community, Johnston Mayor Paul Derenfield said in a prepared statement. With his leadership, we aim to continue strong economic growth and add businesses that fit the needs of our community. Larrabee is a member of the Professional Developers of Iowa and serves on its board of directors. He will be paid $107,500 annually in that position. Fifteen new commercial projects in Des Moines area get building permits. This is a story written by Kathy Bolton of the Business Record. Building permits valued at more than $97.8 million were issued for 15 new commercial projects in the Des Moines area in September including a Target retail store in Waukee and a 70-unit senior living community in Pleasant Hill. Between January 1st and September 30th, 91 permits for new commercial projects have been issued in Polk County and 13 communities surveyed by the business record. During that same period in 2022, 201 permits were issued in 2021, 161. Interest rate increases, inflation, and uncertainty in the office market have contributed to a slowdown in new commercial construction, experts say. Bright spots exist, however, since the start of 2023. Fourteen building permits have been issued for the construction of apartments. Four permits have been issued for new hotel construction. Highlights from September include a permit valued at over $25 million for the construction of a 148,000-square-foot target that will anchor the 62-acre Waukee Town Center, which is southwest of Hickman Avenue and Alice's Road intersection in Waukee. The first phase of the $132 million project, described as a lifestyle shopping center, is expected to include a target, smaller commercial spaces, an eight-acre lake, and several outlaw 
outlet lots, I'm sorry, along Southeast Ellis's Road. Pearson Companies, which is located in Burlington, is developing the Waukee Town Center. Construction of Target is expected to be completed in mid to late 2024. A permit valued at over $23.8 million for the construction of a third warehouse in the I-80 Business Park at 2402 21st Street Northwest in Altoona. The speculative warehouse is in the third in the development. And a permit valued at $8.5 million for the construction of a 55,000-square-foot Hobby Lobby on Delaware Avenue in Ankeny, Parley Ankeny, located in Chillicothe, Missouri, is developing the retail store. Catch Des Moines receives National Branding and Marketing Award. The Sports, Events, and Tourism Association presented Destination Branding and Marketing Campaign of the Year Award to Catch Des Moines during the association's annual uh, summit on October 25th. The award is given to a destination member of Sports ETA with the most outstanding comprehensive marketing campaign for its organization between the year of July 21st, 2022 and June 30th, 2023, and that's according to a press release. This award is a testament to the efforts of our sports, sales, and servicing teams to consistently bring in marquee sporting events and for our community for showing up and supporting them loud and proud. Ben Hatfelt, Director of Creative and Communications at Catch Des Moines, said in a statement, We do things differently in Des Moines, and our marketing reflects that. And the win this award against the much larger cities plays right into our underdog narrative. Des Moines has hosted several sporting events in 2023, including the return of March Madness in the AAU Junior Olympic Games, as well as stops by Savannah Bananas and Ragbri. Also on the business record, employers plan to increase hiring and continue to offer pay increases in 2024, although those increases will be tempered, according to the Palmer Group's 2024 Salary Guide, which was released yesterday. The guide is designed to give companies a pulse on what the market will be and to share that information to make both employers and prospective job candidates more informed about the future of employment, said David Leto. He is the CEO of the employment agency Palmer. The survey, done in collaboration with the Greater Des Moines Partnership, was launched October 4th and collected responses through October 13th. The number of recipients and the number of responses were not released. What initially began about a decade ago as a survey asking employers about salaries has evolved into a survey that measures the overall employment climate. The questions in this year's survey include plans for compensation increases, hiring plans for 2024, what a company's main focus for 2024 will be, and work options that will be offered. A new question for this year's survey asked whether a company was looking at direct hires to fill positions or if they would be open to hiring contract and temporary workers. According to responses, 95% of those plan to give raises in 2024, but those planning to give a raise of 5% or more dropped from 28% in 2023 to 18% in 2024. Those planning to give a raise of 3 to 4% totaled 65%. That's up from 53% of a year ago, with 12% planning to give raises of 1% to 2%. The survey showed that 5% of those responding are planning no raises in 2024. 
Lidl said before the official release of the results, raises are going to continue, but just more tempered. Given the market and inflation, wages have grown so fast the last several years that companies are having to slow down a little bit on some of that. There's still a lot of uncertainty in the market. They want to continue to give raises and take care of their people, but they can't keep doing what they had been doing the past several years. The survey also showed that 50% of those responding plan to add staff in 2024, and that's similar to last year's percentage of 49%. Lito said that while that is good for the region, those saying they plan to decrease staff rose from 2% last year to 6% in 2024. That increase could be a result of financial challenges created by inflation and increasing costs as well as other factors, Lito said. He continued, I think some are just struggling to get their business where they had hoped. Some might have a specific business unit within a company that is not doing great, and he can't absorb all those people. I think there's a lot of different factors. Some companies may have just overhired. The survey also shows some shifts in work models and how companies are addressing return to office. Of those responding, 25% said their work model was hybrid, down from 34% last year, 33% were all in office, down from 39% last year, and 41% said they had a mix of all of the above, and that's up from 25% of a year ago. Lito said it appears that the decline in respondents who work in office or hybrid was offset by the rise in those who responded all of the above. Those who will offer all remote work dropped from 2% last year to 1% this year. Lidl said, I think more people answered all of the above because they have some remote employees that maybe they hired during the pandemic. We just don't see a whole lot of full remote jobs in this market. Companies are also continuing to work to find the balance between bringing people back to the office while maintaining flexibility. Flexibility is key, and I think organizations are still trying to figure out what that means or how that works, Lidl said. He added that he believes that companies have increased their accountability measures to ensure employee productivity doesn't drop if they're working remotely or taking time off to attend to other matters. Lito said that companies more willing than before to hire contract or temporary workers to fill full-time positions. According to surveys, 7% of those responding said they would be willing to hire contract workers Although a new question survey this year, Lito said there's evidence that hiring contract workers is increasing. We're seeing an uptick in our contract placements at Palmer Group, maybe a full-time opening, but it doesn't mean they're not willing to hire a contract worker to get stuff done, Lito said. On a question about artificial intelligence, uh, about 70% said they don't intend on adopting AI technology in 2024, 30% saying yes, they would. Lito said it's unclear what's behind those results. He said that everybody I talked to was looking at new tech, so whether they consider that AI or not, that is where the terminology gets a little fuzzy. According to the survey, more companies are focused on succession planning this year. It shows that succession planning is a focus of 15% of those responding, and that's up 4% from a year ago. Lidl said that while companies continue hiring, leaders need to understand their needs before they start a search. He said, we see a lot of companies start a search without having a plan in place, and that can drag out your hiring process. Keep investing in your people. 
That training and development piece is critical. Hiring people without the perfect experience is still okay as long as you have a plan in place to train and develop them. And the retention piece, finding ways to engage your employees, make sure they understand your purpose, that they're living your values and committed to where you're going as a company, and understanding the role they play that is so important to retaining your people. And this story was written by Michael Crum. He's a senior staff writer at the Business Record. Casey's awarded for revamped financial system reducing labor and bank fees. Casey's General Stores Incorporated received the Association for Financial Professionals 2023 Pinnacle Awards Grand Prize for Excellence in Treasury and Finance for the Implementation of a New Banking System. The system has helped reduce labor by six hours per store per week, leading to annual labor savings of about $10.4 million and saved the company $2 million in annual bank fees. Casey's implemented a smart, safe program in all its uh, 2,550 stores across 16 states, according to a press release. The fully scalable Bank Agnostic Solution uses just one platform partner and enables a standard, consistent process. Their forward-looking solution demonstrates how a treasury transformation can deliver significant time, labor, and cost savings. And that's a quote from Jim Cates. He's the president and CEO of the Association for Professional Financial Professionals. The Pinnacle Award Grand Prize, sponsored by U.S. Bank, was presented during the conference in San Diego, Treasury and Financial Professionals, um, I'm sorry, Financial Professionals voted on the winner of the prize. Transamerica Eyes Des Moines Talent Pool as part of its growth strategy. This is a story written by Michael Crum of the Business Record. Insurance company Transamerica will expand its talent recruitment to the Des Moines area as part of the company's growth strategy. And that's a statement from Laura Worth, the company's vice president and head of corporate development. The company, which has about 2,500 employees in Iowa, has a large presence in the Cedar Rapids area and will continue to maintain that. But with the COVID-19 pandemic and the increased comfort in working remotely, Transamerica is looking to expand its focus on where it looks for talent to fill positions, she said. About 3% of the company's Iowa workforce is already working in Des Moines, but with 60 openings that need to be Iowa-based and another 110 openings that can work remotely from anywhere, Transamerica is eyeing a strong insurance market that exists in Des Moines as a potential pool of talent to fill these positions, Worth said. She added, so we can draw from that talent pool from all those insurance companies that are based in Des Moines, so from that regard, I can see us being able to expand our Des Moines presence. Transamerica already does a lot of business in Des Moines because of the presence of the state insurance commissioner, the legislature, and the governor were said. She said Des Moines also has attractive amenities it offers to prospective employees who may not want to relocate for a job. It's a small state and we travel well, Worth said. We have people who are both hybrid, so in the office at least once a week, and we have commuting remote positions where the only time you need to come in the office is when leadership comes in, are there certain reasons. It could be once a week, it could be once a month, or just once a year, as well as just remote opportunities. She said, we're looking to hire the right talent wherever they live. Given the large talent pool in Des Moines, I think there's a draw there, and I'm hoping we can get more talent. 
Who knows what the future may hold as far as brick and mortar, but a lot of times when people are hired remotely, they don't want to go to a brick and mortar place because they were hired in a certain capacity. Our brick and mortar is in Cedar Rapids, and our current intent is to keep that in Cedar Rapids. The jobs are all within all divisions and range from actuarial, technology, customer service, and project management. Worse said, the need to add talent is a result of the company's continued growth. Worse said, Transamerica's refocus on Des Moines to draw talent can also help provide talent to other companies in the region. We know the talent is there because of all the insurance companies that are located in Des Moines. We can maybe pick off some of the talent there and share talent because sometimes it's just a good move from a career perspective and from a company perspective to move from company to company. We've all been a little crunched in trying to find talent. We've been fortunate to find the people that we have. We have a good amount of openings, but we also have a lot of growth, and that growth changes the landscape of the type of resources we need and what those resources need to look like in a growth mode. Transamerica serves the retirement and life insurance middle market are those with annual incomes from $50,000 to $200,000. There are about 68 million households in the United States that fall into that category worth said. Transamerica's goal is to become the top company in that market, and we think we're very poised to grow, and with growth comes additional individuals we hire. And that brings more from a housing perspective and buying goods and services in Iowa, and that's why we focus on Iowa as a key place of employment. We have a great work ethic, a very business-friendly climate, and all those things bode well for us to be able to grow in the right way, which has downstream effects in a positive way in Iowa. That growth could also mean a greater philanthropic presence in the region, where said. We are really philanthropic and give back to our community. We've given just last year alone $2.1 million to charitable organizations that help support the core of where we are as a community-based company. So for our growth potential, we can give back to the community, not only through our employee base, but also through our foundation to make it a better place to live for everyone. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds has announced a new round of Destination Iowa funding after the legislature appropriated $6.5 million to the tourism quality of life programs during the 2023 session. That follows approval of guidelines on October 20th by the Iowa Economic Development Authority Board. The grant initiative launched in 2022 with federal funding, which has advanced 46 projects across Iowa with more than $480 million in total investment, according to a news release. The Iowa Economic Development Authority guidelines show the eligible projects, including vertical infrastructure, existing project expansion, land acquisition and construction of recreational trails and water trails, can receive grant funds up to 25% of eligible project cost. At least 65% of the project financing or fundraising must be secure when the applicant reaches the pre-application stage. City, county, and nonprofit organizations are eligible to apply for the Envision Iowa funding according to the guidelines. Eligible projects will have a minimum total project cost of $5 million or greater for urban and $1.5 million or greater for rural. The two-step application process will be on a rolling basis from October 23rd through January 31st of 2024. Applicants invited to apply for the full application will have a March 1st, 2024 deadline. 
In March, the state awarded $26.88 million in federal dollars to projects statewide through the Destination Iowa and an additional $15 million to rural projects. Angela Gallagher has been named the Director of the Executive Education of the Zimpleman College of Business at Drake University. She most recently served as Manager of Employee Communications for Deer & Company, where she worked for more than 22 years. She is currently an Executive Coach in Drake University's Executive Education Program. Angela is well-suited to advance the core offerings of Drake's Executive Education Program and will thoughtfully expand their services to more C-suite executives, emerging leaders, and other lifelong learners who recognize that continuous learning leads to success. That's a quote from Alejandro Hernandez. He's the dean of the Zimpleman College of Business. Angela is known for her ability to implement sustainable change, increase organizational impact, and empower teams to achieve business results. Gallagher achieved her coaching certification through the International Coaching Federation and as a woman unlimited lead graduate. She earned a Master's of Business Administration degree from Drake and a Bachelor of Business Administration from Iowa State University. Government needs to do more to remove the risk from the private sector to invest in developing countries to reduce world hunger. And that's a quote from Anne Berth Twinderman, Norway's Minister of International Development. She said this during this year's Borlaug Dialogue in Des Moines. Twinderman, who also serves as Vice President of Center Party in the country's coalition government, was among the world leaders who converged on Des Moines this year for the World Food Prize Foundation's event to discuss the challenges and solutions to global food insecurity. The business record sat down with Twinnerman for a conversation about Norway's efforts to combat food insecurity and its role in, its role in efforts to fight hunger worldwide. According to think tank Economic Impact, 2.5% of Norway's 5.4 million population is considered food insecure compared to 13% in the United States. Data from Feeding America shows that there are about 44 million people in the United States who are food insecure. In Iowa, about 7% of the population, that's 1 in 13 people, are about 238,000 people face hunger. That includes nearly 69,000 children, or about 1 in 11 Iowa children. Twinerman spoke about the need to invest in developing countries, helping private sector investment in technology and innovation, and her country's ties to Norman Borlaug, who is, Nor is of uh, Norwegian heritage. Borlaug founded the World Food Prize in 1986. He won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1970 for his work to improve the world's food supply. A Cresco, Iowa native, Borlaug was known as the father of the Green Revolution. He died in, 20, in 2009. Here is some of what Twimmerman had to say. Her comments have been lightly edited for brevity and clarity. First question the business record posed to her was, what motivates you to be involved in a fight against food insecurity? Her response, I truly believe in the ag sector as a motor for growth for countries in transition. 150 years ago, one-third of the Norwegian population immigrated to the United States, most of them to the Midwest, and the reason was food insecurity. Most African countries are still just beginning that transition of modernizing their ag sector. In my country, Norway, having value chains from the producer to the local and regional markets with all the job creation along the value chain, 
That happened 100 to 150 years ago, and it's still the system, the structure that gives basic resilience to my country in terms of food security. Africa doesn't have that, and I believe that is one of the keys to sustainable development to many African countries. The African continent imports about $75 billion in food a year, and these are countries with very little foreign aid. They're poor countries. There are approximately 30 million small-scale farmers in Africa producing for themselves and their family if they're lucky. They don't sell to a local market or a regional market, and all the people who move to the cities are importing food from far away. It's a missed opportunity for development. Next question, how does Norway address food insecurity among its residents? We are a rich country, so we have purchasing power to buy on the international market. As food prices have been soaring, certain social segments in Norway are struggling because prices are higher, but access to food is there. Some groups are struggling because they are low income, but my government has approached that situation with targeted social benefits to low-income groups and especially families. So that's a remedy, targeted social benefits for those who are struggling. I think the United States and the Norwegian systems are quite different. I'm very pleased that Norway has a social benefit system that makes it easy to target vulnerable groups with the way we're structured it. What we also see is when low-income families struggle economically, that inequality affects not only food security, but it's also excluding children from the common arenas of taking part in society. So we're always trying to invest in assistance so that low-income families can have access to those activities and safeguard them as much as possible. What are some lessons countries like Norway and the U.S. have learned when it comes to addressing food insecurity? What you see in times of economic crisis is that it fuels inequality. Geographical inequality and social inequality in the long-term effects are quite devastating. We know if families can't afford to buy nutritious food, they buy cheap, bad food, and as long-term health consequences. And children not being fed well will be left with the consequences their entire life. So it's a long-term investment to make sure kids get the right food in their stomachs. What have you learned about the efforts to reduce food insecurity that you think people should know? Her response, for me, this conference is inspirational and special for me as well. We like to say we have a tiny bit of ownership to Norman Borlaug. He's a superstar. No one has saved as many lives as him. Norman Borlaug saved maybe a billion lives thanks to technology and innovation and plants. Today, the Green Revolution is a little bit controversial because it also started a period in our history with a lot of uh, monoculture planting a single crop in an area, which we see now has some environmental consequences that we have to solve. Climate change does not allow us to continue with monoculture, and we need a lot more diversification in our crops to be resilient for climate change and other plagues and stuff that we know will come with climate change. So just as Norman Borlaug uh, revolutionary plant technology in his time. We now need a new revolution to diversify crops suited for each continent. There are big changes coming, and it's urgent. Next question, how difficult is it to get buy-in from the general public to support investments to, hot, to fight food insecurity in other countries when there are so many at home who are at risk? There are so many crises in the world, and I sense a certain fatigue from countries because we feel like it's a never-ending, and the crises and catastrophes are growing and growing. 
I think the solution to that is investing in resilience. We know that migration and the pressure for migration is just going to increase as we see increased climate change, more hunger, more poverty. So I believe it is in the self-interest of all Western countries to invest in resilience because we cannot continue to just provide humanitarian assistance to people in need, saving lives. We need to attack the root of the problem, and food insecurity is the root of the problem. We have to invest in that, but this is also a business opportunity for the private sector because people will always need food, and we need to transform our food systems. Fertilizer companies, seed companies, technology companies, and the ag sector, this is a business opportunity because we have to change. It's a win-win situation because we need the private sector, technology, know-how, and innovation to solve these problems. I sense that there's a lot of willingness in the private sector to take part in that transformation. It's a business opportunity, but it's also going to save lots of people in the world. And finally, what's the key takeaway you had from this year's World Food Prize Borlaug Dialogue? Uh, her response was, we had the solutions. These rooms are full of solutions. It's just getting it out there on the ground, in the fields, to the farmer, and we have to do that together. But the solutions are there, and the private sector has solutions ready to roll out. If we help each other, maybe as government we can take some of the risk off the private sector for them to invest in marginal efforts in difficult markets. There are other mechanisms where I can use aid money to take off some of the extra risk for private capital so they take the chance to get their know-how out into the markets. We just have to do it. And again, that was an interview the business record did with Ann Beth Twinnerman of Norway who was in Des Moines for the uh, World Food Summit. You're listening to this week's edition, the November 2nd edition of the Business Record. Our thanks to the folks at Business Publications for providing a copy of the Business Record to IRIS so we can read it for you. If you have any comments on this or any other IRIS program, please give us a call at 515-243-6833. Now back to the Business Record. Vibrant Music Hall's Community Party raises $14,270 for local nonprofits. The Community Party at the Vibrant Music Hall on October 24th gave attendees an inside look at the new venue and helped raise $14,270 for five participating nonprofit organizations. The funding came from ticket sales as well as an additional $10,000 contribution from Vibrant Music Hall. The money will be equally divided among the Waukee Area Arts Council. Girls Rock, Des Moines, Des Moines Music Coalition, the Be Well Foundation, and the Seeds Swan Program. The music venue is scheduled to open in November with rock brand Need to Breathe performing on November 5th, followed by shows from local artists. In addition to concerts, Vibrant Music Hall will also host graduations, weddings, conferences, and other events. The Oak Society reception on November 2nd will recognize Fred Weitz and Tony and Tim Urban as the Oak Ridge Neighborhood's 2023 Oak City honorees. Weitz served on the Oak Ridge Neighborhood Board of Directors and played a key role in the original building of the housing development in the late 1960s. He also helped lead the expansion of the Oak Ridge campus footprint with the construction of the neighborhood's variety center, which houses administrative offices, Oak Academy Preschool, After School, and Out of School Youth Programming and Adult Workforce Initiatives. 
Tim Urban chaired the fundraising committee to build the community center on the Oak Ridge campus and helped lead the design-build process. Tony Urban donated gifts, clothing, and supplies from her store, Letter Perfect, for Oak Ridge residents and children to uh, to attend the event, which, of course, was uh, on November 2nd. Uh, people needed to contact the Oak Society reception. The latest round of projects to be selected for the state's redevelopment tax credit program for Brownfield and Grayfield sites includes the planned redevelopment of four of the original Maytag factory buildings in Newton and mixed-use historic rehabilitations on Des Moines' north side and Highland Park neighborhood. The Iowa Economic Development Authority Board voted on October 20th to award a total of $21 million for 27 projects statewide for fiscal year 2024, according to an agency report. That can be used to help finance the acquisition, remediation, and redevelopment of eligible abandoned underutilized, or environmentally contaminated sites in Iowa. Christensen Development was granted up to a 12% Grayfield tax credit, capped at $1.25 million for its estimated $32 million conversion of four former Maytag factory buildings into 70 market-rate apartments and 50 extended-stay hotel rooms. According to the Iowa Economic Development Authority board documents, Christensen Development applied for a 24% brownfield tax credit, but the final award was lower than developers' request. The former factory space is part of the broader development of Newton's Legacy Plaza campus, which was largely left vacant when Maytag Corporation relocated its headquarters to Benton Harbor, Michigan in 2007 after the company was acquired by Whirlpool. The city of Newton, Jasper County, and Christensen Development signed a three-way agreement in February to adapt Maytag's 1, 2, 16, and 50, those are names of the four buildings, into the high-end hotel and bar and apartment buildings, and that's according to Newton Daily News. The board also awarded a capped $1.5 million, 24% brownfield tax credit to cold storage rehab, for plans to rehabilitate the historic portion and expand a vacant former cold storage warehouse adjacent to Riverview Park in Des Moines into a restaurant with outdoor patio, fitness gym, office space, bike shop, and apartments. Iowa Economic Development Authority Marketing and Communications Team Lead Keenan Keppelman said in an email Tuesday that an estimated $13.45 million project cost includes 11 million addition that will have 20 of the project's 36 high-end apartments and outdoor activity space for bike trails and waterway connections. The awards published in the IEDA meeting packet list the project costs at $12.54 million. The nonprofit Neighborhood Development Corporation is redeveloping and owns the building through cold storage redevelopment, according to County Property Records, and the organization's executive director, Abby Gilroy. The Des Moines-based nonprofit is supported by the city and Polk County in its strategy of finding and investing in underused commercial nodes that could spark more redevelopment in a neighborhood or area. Gilroy said Neighborhood Development Corporation bought the cold storage property in February 2023 but began conversations with the previous building owner several years ago as the city began redevelopment of Riverview Park and its amphitheater. She said the organization has not signed tenants for the planned commercial and restaurant spaces. 
The cold storage structure was built in 1937 on a three-acre site and has an assessed value of $538,000. Keppelman said in an email, The interior of the 103-square-foot structure is littered with barrels of hydraulic-type fluids, large cooling equipment, pipes, appliances, and substantial debris. The roof is currently being held up in places by stacked pallets. In addition to the condition, the building contains an exorbitant amount of asbestos. The asbestos abatement and interior demolition of the building is nearing $900,000, she said. According to IEDA, the property has been vacant for several years and is on the city's nuisance list. The $3.6 million plan to renovate the historic two-story building and former home of Klein's department store and Knight's Epithias meeting space in the Highland Park Neighborhood Commercial District will receive a 12% Grayfield tax credit, and that's capped at $240,000. According to Kappelman, plans include build-out of four second-floor workforce housing units. Kappelman said in her email that a lease has been executed with an established restaurant operator in Des Moines for a renovated retail space in the building, which is located on 6th Avenue in Des Moines. Keppelman said their expertise in the industry will assume the space will be filled and offer the community a new restaurant option, which is gravely needed in this redevelopment corridor. In addition to the renovation of the first and second floor, the development plan also includes the rehab of basement space, which the restaurant operator plans to use as unique restaurant space. Building co-owner and co-developer Tim Bratvold said Friday that the restaurant tenant has asked that its name not be released at this time. According to Bratvold, the existing tenants are on short-term leases and will not remain in the building after renovations. The renovations will also improve the 80-acre building storefront facade, including awning repairs, brick repairs, and window replacements that will return the building to its historic look, Kappelman said. Bratvold and his wife, Chloe Bratvold, own the building through 36 on 6. Tim Bratvold, who is also Director of Business Development at Estes Construction, said they hope to begin construction the first quarter of 2024. The Iowa Economic Development Authority, which is a state government agency, reviewed 53 applications for the fiscal year 24 Brownfield and Grayfield tax credit awards. Developers can apply for the program's tax credits of up to 24% of a qualifying investment in a brownfield, up to 30% of the qualifying investment if the project meets the requirements of green development, up to 12% of a qualifying investment located in a grayfield, or up to 15% of the qualifying investment if the project meets the requirements of a green development. The Iowa Economic Development Authority report defines tax credit eligible brownfield properties as abandoned, idled, or underutilized industrial or commercial facilities where the expansion or redevelopment is complicated by real or perceived environmental contamination. An eligible Grayfield property could be an abandoned public building or industrial or commercial property that has been developed and has infrastructure in place, but the site's current use is outdated or prevents a better or more efficient use of the property, according to the report. In other business record news, United Way of Central Iowa named Susan Clower its chief advancement officer. The United Way of Central Iowa has appointed Susan Clower as the organization's chief advancement officer, 
Clower, who will join the organization's senior leadership team on December 1st, will provide guidance to communications in the philanthropic direction of the organization, including leveraging data and technology while advancing the overall messaging and implementation of the United to Thrive strategic focus. Before joining United Way of Central Iowa, Clower was the administrator of State Historical Society of Iowa and director of the State Historical Museum of Iowa. She also has experience serving in multiple development positions at the Science Center of Iowa. Susan's wealth of experience in enhancing resource streams and initiatives, building and maintaining relationships, and engaging with a broad range of constituents will be instrumental in advancing United Way's fundraising and communication plans aligned with the United to Thrive strategies. This is a quote from Mary Sellers, who is the president of United Way of Central Iowa. DMAC launches a redesigned website along with first logo and branding updates since 1988. Des Moines Area Community College, known usually as DMAC, announced Monday has launched a redesigned website and the institution's first branding refresh in 35 years. DMAC officials unveiled the new corporate logo that incorporates a three-dimensional D college seal connected to its founding in 1966 and a graphic claw signifying the DMAC bear mascot Monday, according to a news release. In an interview with the business record, DMAC President Rob Denson said the biggest change in the website modernization is making the website more mobile browser-friendly. He said it was DMAC's major goal to make the site more accessible to the college's 55,000 students. A lot has changed in the last 35 years, especially in higher education, Denson said in a news release. During that time, DMAC has nearly tripled in size, both in student enrollment and the number of facilities and locations we have. However, we're also worked hard to maintain our strong commitment to keeping costs down for students. DMAC is dedicated to offering high-quality, accessible, and affordable education with tuition fees that are among the lowest in Iowa. The college is planning a marketing campaign in 2024 that will feature the new branding and logo, according to the news release. DMAC is one of the largest undergraduate institutions in Iowa with six campuses and seven learning centers in central Iowa. In the past decade, DMAC has invested approximately $100 million in new and remodeled facilities, as well as education infrastructure, including the implementation of Canvas, which is a web-based learning management system, and the launch of 10 pathways that have more than 220 credit and non-credit programs, degrees, and certificates, according to the release. In that release, DMAC cited a recent Hanover research study that found that 75% of companies worked on their brand between 2020 and 2021, and a 2022 UpCity survey, which found 51% of businesses had changed their brand since the COVID-19 pandemic began. Todd Jones, the MAC Director of Marketing and Public Relations, said in the release, a brand is more than a slogan, a logo, or new graphics. It's an overall identity and helps shape how a company, organization, or educational institution is perceived by the people it serves. This is an important opportunity for DMAC to continue to grow and modernize while highlighting its reputation as one of the leading educational institutions in the state of Iowa. Dave Spalding, the dean of Iowa State's Ivy College of Business, will present alumni with four words on the 92nd annual 
Honors and Awards Ceremony uh, this weekend during Iowa State's homecoming week. The award winners are the Ivy Award goes to David Kinglin. He's the CEO and chairman of the board at Kinglin Systems and Deb Kinglin, executive producer of Kinglin Productions, Renovo Media. Citation of Achievement will be given to Keith, uh, I'm sorry, Keith Crower. He's principal with Red House Associates. The John D. DeVries Service Award will go to Craig Hansen, Senior Vice President Holmes Murphy and Associates. And the Outstanding Young Alumni Award will go to Amanda Matchett, CJ Senior Corporate Counsel of Commercial Technology Transactions at Workday, and Michael Fleischer, Treasurer and Head of the Internal Tax at Eisner Amper in New York City. The John Deere Foundation is providing a a series of grants totaling $19 million that are aimed at eliminating hunger. Announced by Josh Jepson, Senior Vice President Chief Financial Officer at Deere & Company during the World Food Prizes Foundation, Norman Borlaug International Dialogue in Des Moines, the purpose of the grants is to increase access to food, uplift resource-constrained farmers, and support global food systems. The three grants were the largest in the foundation's history, with $7.5 million going to the One Acre Fund, $6.5 million to the Nature Conservancy, and $5 million to the World Food Program USA. Jepson said during the event, We believe firmly that the world's farmers deserve our collective support and advocacy if our goal is to realize the full promise of the Green Revolution. The private sector, including specifically those businesses involved in agriculture, had the responsibility to help close the gaps in investment. Guided by concepts such as trust-based philanthropy, we can do better, particularly in honoring the work of nonprofit organizations serving marginalized growers capable of making leaps of their own. The grant for the One Acre Fund is to help it accelerate its work to ensure farm families have the knowledge and means to achieve big harvests, support healthy families, cultivate rich soil, according to the press release. The grant for the Nature Conservancy will promote natural climate solutions such as forest restoration and conservation projects in key regions across the globe, and the grant for the World Food Program USA will strengthen the capacity of the United Nations World Food Program, the world's largest humanitarian organization. The National Alliance of Mental Illness, often referred to as NAMI, Iowa Board of Directors announced that Ryan Crane will become the organization's next executive director. Crane previously served as director of philanthropy for the Des Moines Community Playhouse since November 2020 and has held various leadership positions at the Community Foundation of Greater Des Moines, Primary Healthcare Incorporated, Planned Parenthood of the Heartland, and One Iowa. Crane will replace Peggy Hubert, who has served as NAMI's Iowa Executive Director since 2016 and plans to retire at the end of 2023. NAMI Iowa is a statewide organization that provides advocacy, education, and support for the most important mental health issues. Crane said in a prepared statement, There's a lot of work to be done as we seek to improve access to mental health services and resources. NAMI Iowa is at the forefront of an exciting and encouraging trend as more people now see mental health as an everyday part of their lives, and stigma around the issue is reduced. My background of community leadership and connecting donors to important causes can help propel NAMI Iowa into the future. 
in from a business record column. It's called On the Week, or I'm sorry, On the Move, and this uh, reports on people who are changing positions within the Des Moines business community. Kelly McGriff is our first person. She's with Mayflower Homes Incorporated, and she's been promoted to the executive director of that company. Brian Kimmel of Assurity, he's been hired as the regional sales manager. Susan Elder of Connectify HR, she's been hired as the sales connection executive. Angie Dean, also of Connectify HR, has been hired as the operations project manager. And Conan, Connor Miller, I'm sorry, Connor Miller from Bankers Life, he's Bankers Life 30 Under 30 Award Insurance Sales Representative. Um, Kobe Sojins of Avella Bank has been hired as the lo- uh, junior loan officer. And Jason DeRoe at American Alarms, he's been hired as security systems technician. The city of Urbandale is asking community members to develop a new design for the city flag that captures the essence of the Urbandale community. The existing flag has flown over Urbandale for more than 20 years and was a result of a community-wide effort in 2000. While still honoring that flag, Urbandale is now seeking a new design that reflects the city's history, growth, and continued progress, according to a press release. The city is inviting all members of the community to participate in the design process, input on flag design elements, open Monday, and will close January 31st, 2024, 2024, I'm sorry. A flag design committee, including representatives from the Urbandale Historical Society, the Public Art Committee, graphic artists, designers, elected officials, and city staff will help guide the process. The new flag will be unveiled in June 2024 at the Mayor's Annual State of the City Address uh, there in Urbandale. And our final story from this reading of the November 2nd business record, hy has kicked off its November campaign to honor U.S. veterans and active-duty military members with the hy Homefront Initiative, which includes fundraising and a free Veterans Day breakfast. All veterans and active-duty military members can get a free buffet-style breakfast from 6 a.m. to 10 a.m. at hy stores. They will also receive 15% off their grocery purchases on November 10th, when they shop at Hy-Vee, Dollar Fresh Market, and Hy-Vee Fast and Fresh locations. As part of the Homefront Initiative, Hy-Vee is also hosting its annual Homefront Roundup fundraiser at all Hy-Vee stores and Dollar Fresh Market stores across its eight-state region through November 15th to raise money to support veterans, active duty, military members, and their families. Hy-Vee will match all customer donations up to $100,000 with all proceeds benefiting Hope for the Warriors, Operation First Response, the American Red Cross, and the Puppy Jake Foundations. Iowans will have an opportunity to honor military veterans by visiting the Spirit of Iowa Tribute Bell, which will be at select IV locations in north-central Iowa, northeast Iowa, and the Des Moines Metro now through November 10th. The bell symbolizes support from military veterans and service members across the state of Iowa. Hi, you've been listening to the Business Record on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicap. I'm Pat Steele, and it's been my pleasure to read for you this week. Thank you for sharing your time with IRIS, and we hope you'll join us again next week for another reading of the Business Record. 